Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Martin Murray of Waterdrop. Waterdrop helps you drink more water with bursts of delicious flavors made from real fruit and plant extracts. Through these little cubes, you simply drop it in your water bottle, let it fizz, and enjoy your drink. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Martin Murray of Waterdrop. Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? <clears throat> so I grew up in Salzburg, Austria, the center of Europe. I'm half Scottish, half Austrian. So we only speak English with my mother and German with my father. I have two siblings, one younger brother who also became a co-founder, one younger sister. And our upbringing was actually fantastic. It's a beautiful place, Salzburg, a small town, a lot of green, you can do a lot of sports. And I left Salzburg then eventually to go to the main capital of Austria, which is Vienna, mm. and pretty much have stayed here ever since. <laughs> mm. uh, what time period did you leave to go? Was that when you were a child or was it, was this later on to Vienna? So I did my schooling in Salzburg until I was 18 or 19. And then I did one year of voluntary social work. So I worked with um, disabled people for one year, which was fantastic. And after that, I went to Vienna when I guess I was 21. Mm. <laughs> awesome. I'm curious then, what did you, uh, when you went up to school, what did you end up studying and what were some of your aspirations, say, at that time? What, what did you aspire to do? Well, it was funny because most of my schoolmates actually stayed in Salzburg or went to an even smaller city. And I wanted to go to the capital, Vienna, which on international standards is not that big. But if you're from Austria, not from the capital, it is big, right? It's a yeah. two billion inhabitant city. I didn't really know anybody, so I wanted to, of course, broaden my horizon, but enroll on the largest business university here. So I studied international business mm. and yeah, I just wanted to learn about international yeah. business, I guess, and uh, I'm glad to say I did. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I'm curious, what was your upbringing like, uh, say, even prior to that? Uh, do you, were you, did you have an entrepreneurial mindset? Were you involved with any athletics? What was that like? So we did do a lot of sports. I played soccer for quite a bit and chess mm -hmm. um, quite competitively. Mm -hmm. At my school age, was not really involved in any entrepreneurial activities. I did that later than at university. Yeah. So it was a lot of learning and doing sports and just simply having fun, right? The yeah. stuff you do between 14 and 18. Certainly. So it was a very, um, I, I cannot complain. Honestly, we were very fortunate because it's, it's a great city. Yeah. And um, we got a good ed education for de facto free. It's one of the advantages here. Mm. And, you know, had a lot of friends. So it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, amazing. So when you went on to university, I saw you ended up studying uh, kind of economics and business. What led you to go that route specifically? Mm, it was pretty obvious for me to do business. I was just something I was always interested in. I 
I, I went to a kind of a commercial high school, you would call it, I guess, mm-hmm. um, where you learn about business and accounting, and I loved it. So, you know, the ins and outs of a business, so how does finance work and controlling and marketing and HR and, and strategy and all these things. Mm-hmm. And we also had a grandfather who was an entrepreneur. He built a paper company in Scotland back in the days. And hearing these stories about international business and negotiations and, you know, building companies, I think that was just something that was was a very clear in my mind always that I would pursue a path in business, certainly much clearer than pursuing a path in law or, or, yeah. or medicine. That was light years away from me. Uh, so that was quite obvious. And then I decided to go to the largest city, Vienna, and do the most international degree I could. So it wasn't a big decision. I think that just evolved over time. Yeah. There wasn't really a lot of a lot of doubt there. Hey, I wanted to stop and say thank you to this episode's sponsor, Tavolia Audio. As someone who is audio-driven because of the podcast, I'm constantly looking for solutions to be able to make sure my editing is very precise. So whether listening to music or using for your home theater, Tavolia Audio offers an array of products that can fit that solution with also having very aesthetic appearances. Tavolia Audio is a unique blend of style and sound offering beautifully, easy-to-use products that sound exceptional. It was founded in 2000 in Boston, Massachusetts, and it was built on radios and evolved to create Bluetooth and Wi-Fi-enabled products. I've been using the Music Home System, and it's the Generation 2, and I am so blown away because it has the appearance of a retro look while being very classy and sounds amazing. I highly recommend to check out Tavolia Audio, so make sure to check the link in this description. It's tavoliaaudio.com. But click the link, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. So uh, following graduation there and prior to water drop, uh, what did you end up doing? I saw you got into consulting. Uh, what was this career path right after university, if you can explain? Yeah, so during university, it's a big university, VU, it's called. So you, you it's quite anonymous. Mm-hmm. You have to do a lot of social activities to kind of structure your curriculum. So I got involved in a lot of extracurricular activities like we we, we co-founded like a student consultancy called icons which was fun we went to a lot of conferences i i spent a lot of time abroad mm. so i was um in, in 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 a few countries there doing doing semesters abroad and then after university the path to really implement what i had learned in business seemed to be consulting for me and um, I applied to all the consultancies after university and then eventually ended up choosing the Boston Consulting Group, where I spent then around four years pretty much flying around the world and um, trying to help larger corporations doing various things. Mm. Also a lot of fun, incredibly inspiring because you're surrounded with a lot of really, really smart people and you have to really you have to up your game. Yeah. But you also learn about what big companies are doing or more interestingly not doing. For sure. So I spent after university a few years doing that kind of stuff. Wow, incredible. I'm curious then, in this time frame, when does water drop come into play? This kind of the concept and what was the inspiration behind launching this twenty sixteen timeline? Yeah, I mean I think the build up was I'm an avid water drinker and always was. And like for years, we've been having these discussions around the absurdity that you have this enormous industry in the world that every Mm -hmm. single one of us touches, but doesn't really make any sense. So we were always discussing why do hundreds of billions of dollars 
in sugar water still get shipped around in plastic bottles. That that was like a a yearly discussion because I find the paradox quite striking that so many people speak about you know flying to Mars and and AI and back then it was big data and you know all these fancy things. Yeah. But the reality is there's this huge thing in front of us that doesn't make any sense. So I I was experimenting with healthy iced teas. You know, I was always a big defender of the fact that people should just be drinking water. Yeah. And then I left the Boston Consulting Group and did my MBA at INSEAD. Um, again, mm. the most global MBA in Singapore. So I spent a year in Singapore, which was really, really um, exciting as well. And the idea actually came on an airplane. And that's not mm. a, a PR story. I was actually flying from... My mom was visiting, visiting, we were flying from Singapore to Hong Kong. And on an airplane, you're always asked what you want to drink. <clears throat> and I always take water. Um, and we both had our waters in front of us. And we looked at the water. And then we were like discussing again, actually, wouldn't it be cool if we had something small that we could just drop into that water to give it a bit, bit more, you know, taste or functionality? Because my mom was always like, yeah, water is great. But, you know, she finds it a bit boring, etc. And that then... In an airplane, it's even more striking how absurd it is to put three bottled things on an airplane, which are very heavy. Yeah. And then it just came to me that you could actually create something that we would later call water drop and that could really change the way beverages are sold. And then hard to explain, mm -hmm. but you kind of just see it, right? You're like, wow, this could be done. It's a cool product and you can drop it into water. You can set it online because it's so light, has zero packaging zero co2 uh, or very very little and um, you could individualize beverage consumption and then when i got off the plane the only thing i could think about is why hasn't anybody done this before so um it's it was so obvious it was so simple yeah and then i did a lot of research and then i discovered a few other adjacent categories right there's like powder pouches and syrup and other kinds of tablets but nothing really that i wanted to create or at least see so that was in April 2015. And since then, I've literally been putting all my energy and effort into creating this at first and then later mm. scaling into a global company. It's incredible. I'm curious, what did the prototyping process look like? Because you mentioned there was some others adjacent in the category, but nothing specifically like this cube shaped also. What did you use for sourcing? What, what, what did you find in the prototyping? Oh my God, that was really exhausting, but fun as well. So, I mean, the idea is very simple, right? The idea is let's take water as a platform and let consumers make their own beverages. And then if you look into that category, you have syrup that has a kind of similar value proposition. I never liked syrup because I don't like these plastic tubes and they're full of, of mostly chemical ingredients and the customer experience for me was not good enough. I couldn't see anybody running around with syrup. Um, mm. I was asked myself, would you use this? in front of a friend yeah. and the other category are like um everescent tablets <clears throat> that i find very elegant because an everescent tablet is nothing but salt and an acid that react and dissolve but they're mostly used for very pharmaceutical purposes they don't really have a lot of good stuff in them and they're very very functional right it's not like mm -hmm. a, a, a certainly a drink you would consider yeah and then you have powder pouches which is interesting because you can put a lot of powder into a pouch but it's very commoditized nothing really special and again the customer experience not very nice because you have to stir around and the powder floats on the top of the water mm. so we were like wow what would be the ideal case 
And then what we said is ideally we would take the technology of Everest and technology, which is again, very simple. I'm making things intentionally simple, but a, mm -hmm. a reaction between a salt and an acid and put as much fruit and plant extract. So the good stuff you actually want to have in a drink on top mm. of that and use that as a kind of rocket fuel. That was like mm. the conceptual idea. And then pretty much I was flying around visiting big you know, German manufacturing and R&D companies trying to persuade them to make these prototypes. <laughs> Most of them left me out of the door because they were like, what is this? You know, who are you? <laughs> yeah. But then eventually I was, I got really smart because I asked like 10 companies the same thing. And then after 10 of these interviews, I knew the ins and outs, right? Yeah. Uh, so the learn curve was pretty high. And then I found a company in Germany who said, we don't really fully get it, but you know, we like the team and we'll help you make the prototype. So they sponsored the prototype against some equity. And then I got the first prototype that was end of 2015. And it was, to be very honest with you, it wasn't any good. It didn't really mm. dissolve didn't look nice and certainly didn't taste nice. But then at least I had the confidence that if I would throw enough time and energy at this, I yeah. could make it a really good product. And then I quit my job. Um, everybody thought I was a bit crazy because, you know, all of the people around me were going back to fancy jobs with a lot of salary and prestige. And I said, <laughs> no, no, I'm going to do this now for a few years. And that's how it all started. Yeah. So I had wow. a first type and then it was just constant improvement. And we're still doing that. <laughs> wow, I love it. So how long since that first prototype was received? And if you can also explain how many varieties did you have at that prototype uh, until you launched? So what was that timeline from prototype to launch then? How long did that take? Mm, probably like two years. Okay. Within that time period, you know, we had no money. We were not experts in the industry. A lot of what we did requires a lot of technical know-how compression mm -hmm. technology, packaging technology, all the, you know, the, 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 the food R and D and you cannot recall, or I at least can't anymore, how often people told us this is stupid. This is not going to work. The project is over. Yeah. We always find another way to motivate ourselves and to have a new idea because there's so many things that go wrong, right? The first step is get the recipe, like actually make fruit and plant extract. You take a fruit, you take a plant, you technically make it warm and that gets out sugar and um, water every plant mm. and fruit is 99% water yeah make it simple then you have to get it into a cube that was very very hard we had to make our own uh, machineries we had to create machines to allow for compression to happen with natural ingredients and then after we had the, the cube we we're like okay but how do you package this in a yeah. way that protects the ingredients so it can't go bad but also package it in a way that you could potentially make hundreds of millions of it. So it has to be scalable. And mm. we find a lot of smart engineers that came up with these solutions, and, but it was hard, yeah? And all these three parts had to play together. And even after we launched and, um, in early 2017, the first product was, it was really bad. Um, mm. because we, we had put two years of our life into R&D and you know, the fact that we had the first product made yeah. us so proud that we wanted to launch and then finally show it to consumer because yeah. any any business school and they taught me at least <laughs> i should have done that but i didn't taught, teaches you to create an mvp right a minimal viable product and, yeah. and test something within a niche and yeah. if you get traction you do more of that we had the opposite approach because we were like an, an ipad i always say because nobody asked us to invent this we just yeah. launched it then and then asked consumers what they thought about it 
then obviously a lot of them loved it, but a lot of them hated it. And mm. there was a lot of polarization, which is also good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we just kept going. So that was, um, yeah. in a nutshell, what we did. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Martin's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Henry Griffiths. Henry Griffiths offers premium custom fit golf clubs. Yes, custom fit, not a sales pitch when you go to a store and they throw you ready to play golf clubs, but custom tailored clubs. They take pride in their clubs being custom tailored to your gameplay, size, swing speed, and much more. As someone who really enjoys golfing on my free time, I love playing with my Henry Griffiths clubs because they're exactly tailored to the way I play. You simply go to their website, see their locator, and find different fitters in your region that they partner with, and you'll be ready to go with your own set of clubs. So, whether you golf a couple times a week or once a month, Henry Griffiths has clubs for your exact gameplay. I highly recommend checking out Henry Griffiths, so make sure to check them out at henry-griffiths.com. The link's in this description, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. So um, in this time frame, you mentioned that consumer feedback, loved it, hated it. I'm curious, since you did initiate launch already, did you have to do some pivoting at some of your flavors to cut down any skews or what did that kind of first year look like? Did you adjust at all? Yeah, no, we adapted pretty much everything. I think the the first was the taste of the product. Um, that was obviously not good it wasn't like we said wow this is amazing and the market just disagrees mm-hmm. it was just there's a lot of fine balancing you need to do with a food product especially one like that yeah. and you know you change like half a percent of the recipe and then it, it's something completely different so balancing salt and and, and 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 acidity and you know what kind of extracts works with what so there was a there was a few a huge pivoting there because we launched uh Let's say we launched an, an an early Alcatel and then we got it to an iPhone two within mm. two years and then you you go up and you have the iPhone three and four five six seven so there's yeah. always something to improve and the second big part was our initial hypothesis was that we would scale this by offering WaterDrop as a B two B solution mm. so we would sell to companies in big boxes and hotels and they would buy it because they want to treat their employees well or their guests, and then people would discover the product and then rebuy online. That was yeah. kind of our, our strategy, which sounded good on PowerPoint, but in reality didn't work because companies were much, much more stingy, you see here than I thought. So yeah. the willingness to pay very, very low, plus the sales cycles very, very long. So we would literally be chasing accounts for weeks for like a $20 order. <laughs> after three months we realized look this is not going to work after two years of r&d we said hey if we continue b2b we're going to run out of business very early so we pivoted to b2c we changed the packaging we went from a 48 box to a 12 pack um worked on the branding quite a lot on our marketing proposition mm. and we opened a pop-up store then which wow. i think was one of our best ideas so we would spend the entire day working in the store, speaking to consumers, like what you like, what you not like, what's your idea, what's your willingness to pay, la, 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 la. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the shift, we went to the office and worked until like midnight, 1 a.m. to on our regular stuff. So yeah, it was a very fun first year in hindsight. Um, And we changed quite a bit of our offering, to be honest. Yeah, certainly. I'm curious. So you opened this first store up and I, I know you're also in retail stores. What was that like going into retail? What, did you go into retail after this first store opened or what was that timeline? And also, what was it like pitching this new product to those retail, the first doors? Um, so we went, we opened a pop-up, I think in April or May of 2017. And then our first retail partner, we launched in September, so later. Mm. 
think the the reaction of retailers has been the same all along. I mean, the first reaction is, this is fantastic. This is a real innovation. This is something that needs very little shelf space. This yeah. is something that has a pro rata, a, a high margin for retailers. Mm-hmm. And it's it's mostly in line with what retailers want to do, which is promote more products around health and wellness. So we ticked a lot of boxes back then. The question for the retailer was mostly around, okay, what's the right velocity? What are you going to support to do, you know, sellouts? So actually the same discussion we have now, just at a different scale. Yeah. So we tested one retailer, um, which gave us the opportunity to improve a lot of our processes, right? If you do, so we said retail is detail, right? It's, it's, it's not as easy as, let's say, online. That's more forgiving. You can just change. Yeah. And retail things have to work, right? A delivery date is a delivery date. Certain skew amount is a certain skew amount. And, yeah. and the way you sell out of a shelf is very different than the way you sell online, for instance. So we yeah. learned a lot there. And then after 2017, we scaled up in 2018, 19, 20 um, across Europe. And now, as you said before, we're obviously very active now in the States as well that we entered almost two years ago and are scaling up um, with selected retailers um, in the States as well. So it's it's mm. drop by drop, we say. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So especially with a consumer product that requires taste, I'm curious, what is the main marketing that you guys see performing for you? Uh, say in your direct consumer, maybe where there's not a retail store option or a, a brick and mortar, but somewhere in the States, for example, I'm looking at water drop, not sure how it would taste, but what is the main marketing strategies at work? Mm, so there's quite a few. I think number one, and that's our greatest strength, is still paid social. Yeah. So acquiring consumers through meta or even call it whether influencer marketing that works very well because a we are very light product so perfect for for e-commerce you can't really sell beverages online right it doesn't really make sense because they're too heavy too unsustainable logistics costs are too high yeah so that's one and from day one we we paid a lot of attention to design customer experience and people like beautiful things that have great customer experience. So yeah. I think that's that's the number one. We also consider friends and family as a marketing tool, if you like, because if you buy a product and you really like it and you appreciate the attention we put in and the customer service and all that, you're automatically going to tell your friends about it, which yeah. is kind of like free customer acquisition. That works very well. And then we, of course, have sampling at scale. You mentioned it, right? You, some yep. of the strategies we have is just get as much product out there as possible into people's hands. Yep. And then there's a lot of other things we do. We we open pop-up stores around the world, also retail stores where we, of course, get brand awareness, but we also learn how to adapt product offering. Mm. Not every country is the same, so we adapt our marketing strategies there. Yep. We do a lot of influencer marketing, PR, now we've also ventured into sport marketing. Mm. So we ventured into tennis, for instance, which is a perfect sport for us because there's no other sport where athletes hydrate so prominently. So we have some beautiful benches we make there where we promote our bottles with athletes like Novak Djokovic, I mean, the best tennis player in the world, invested yeah. in the business because, awesome. you know, he's fully aligned in our mission of helping people to drink more water and getting rid of these plastic bottles. Mm. So there's a lot of things. And the bigger you get, 
the more you have to diversify your marketing channels. But at core, it was always very, very lean paid social. And then influencer marketing, we always tried to be as viral as possible to get others to to talk about us, right? Through, yeah. through various other strategies. So those are just some of them that we do. Yeah. So taking the feedback from that marketing then, and you mentioned some other verticals that you guys have gone into regarding sports. I'm curious, do you can you depict a main demographic uh, for your customer? Absolutely. I mean, we have far more than 2 million online customers, probably more like three now, two and a half at least. Um, mm. So we know a lot about our customers. I think that's also one of our biggest advantages because a typical beverage company doesn't have that, right? Uh, yeah. You hire an agency to do service, but we know for our D2C part of the business. I mean, the B2B part is now really, really big as well. And mm -hmm. what you want. And I think one way of looking at it is like the old age demography or, or age where you're like, okay, the majority of our co consumers are still female, right? The mm -hmm. core core audience, I would say is like, call it 25 to 50. So if you would apply these parameters, you would have um, a lot of the consumers. Male, of course, a bit smaller, but 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 growing faster because we're also going into more functional areas like caffeinated products or even electrolytes. Those yeah. we would see more unisex. The way we actually look about our look after our consumers is more about customer pathways. Like, mm. what does a consumer drink in the morning on the commute to work, at work, coming home, before the mm. gym, after the gym, at night, during dinner, etc. And yeah. if you look at these use cases, we try to, with our products, capture as much attention our consumer lives as possible. Mm. So you can look at it through through like standardized parameters, but for us, it's 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 sometimes more insight to really think insightful to think through. Okay, how are we integrated into people's lives, mm. and what can we do to obviously be a big part of that, but eventually help our consumers to drink more water and refrain from using these plastic bottles. So mm. that's kind of the way we look at it. Just objectively, if you'd run all the data, it would be in that kind of age group mostly. Yeah. And but, now comes the big but, we have a lot of consumers left and right of that curve because you know hydration yeah. starts at like three, four years old where we're trying to get kids not to drink these sugar drinks at kindergarten. Mm. Um, all the way up to elderly aged homes where you have like 105 year olds who don't drink enough water and we're helping them to drink enough water there. So left and right of that core bucket, you have a massive amount of people that we can also serve. So mm -hmm. we don't just look at it on a, on a, on a, on a, on a very short yeah. demographic basis. We, we look at our opportunity, our TAM, our total addressable market. Mm -hmm. as a much, much bigger opportunity. And we find other ways of, of kind of putting people into boxes. Love it. I'm curious then um, with that as well, what, what would you say is the best seller overall, if you can depict that um, since launch today? On the core flavors, Boost does very, very well. That's kind of an, an all-time classic um, that's been around from the start. We started with four SKUs just with micro drinks. And then we expanded to probably like 12 SKUs with micro drinks. We added micro tea, micro energy, micro light. Mm -hmm. And we also added a huge range of drinkware. So any kind of sustainable carafe bottle. And we also mentioned into water filtration because at the end of the day, we want to 
promote the usage of tap water. That's the most sustainable way of, of, of consuming because you don't have to ship stuff from A to B. Yeah. But a lot of countries don't have the luxury of having, you know, great tap water. So I think that's a, an interesting part for us. Um, but long story short, Bruce is great. We also recently launched a product that we're bringing to the States in a few weeks um, around iced tea. That's mm. been probably the best seller in terms of records. We're struggling to keep up with production because mm. people are literally um, going a bit crazy about it, which is wow. which is fantastic. It's a great product for summer. Yeah. Um, and another interesting part about our business is because we did all that technical R&D, we eventually built our own production. So we have two production sites. Mm. So we control our production as well. So we're not dependent also on, on any kind of co-packers out there. Yeah. We can we can make whatever whatever products we decide to make, which is also good news in times of you know supply chain pressure and all that. Yeah, love it. So I'd like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would that be? I'd say don't overthink it. Having a few years of experiences, you know, there's it business is so complex and it can be so overwhelming. And the more people you ask for advice, the more advice you get until you're so confused that you don't really know what to do. At yeah. the same time, if you have a good North Star, if you have a good enough level of passion, business is really just about doing and execution. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I see are successful are the ones that talk less and do more, even if it's sometimes wrong. Yeah. So if you ask me for one thing, I would say don't don't overthink it and really focus on the execution and don't um <laughs> don't get paranoid and scared by all the advice you're gonna get. <laughs> Amazing. Well Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Waterdrop at waterdrop.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.